Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's also made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Brevard County Board of Commissioners through the Brevard Cultural Alliance, Incorporated. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and coming up on this week's program, Florida troubadour Chris Call. In the middle of uh, December, when it's uh, dark at 3.30 and and the rain's coming down and it's uh, almost freezing, uh, you can't help but think of uh, Florida and the beautiful sunny skies. Two sisters remember catching snakes to sell in the 1950s. If... It felt like a snake was in it. We just kept poking until the snake got irritated with us, and then he would come out. But the only thing is, here you are at least 12 feet above the ground, and the snake comes out and stares you in the face. The Civil War in Florida. All that ahead on Florida Frontiers. Eighty degrees. The rest of the country is in a shiver and freeze. Breakfast on the balcony and the salt spray in the air. It almost seems like it ain't fair. And the place to be is at the Floridiana Hotel Soaking up the sunshine And riding the swells Won't you send me a postcard From the Floridiana Hotel Bringing me blue skies And wishing me well Singer-songwriter Chris Call stopped by the Florida Frontier studio at the Library of Florida History in Cocoa to play us a few songs live. We also discussed his popular CD, Orange Blossom Memories, Songs of Florida, and his new collection, Sunshine Kid. Chris Call says he grew up with an appreciation of Florida history and culture that was reinforced by living in England. Well, I did. I, um, fourth grade is the year we study Florida history coming up in elementary school, and I remember doing that, and uh, it was just a, a neat experience. I had this whole big notebook that we had to create for that. And um, But growing up here, I think uh, I really got the appreciation that I have come to uh, have and, and uh, come across in the music when I when I lived in England for five years. I um, I grew up in Cocoa and and Merritt Island. Went to Merritt Island High School and I went to Rollins College in Winter Park. But uh, I, after that, I went to England to perform and uh, really learn my craft and music for about five years. And while I was there, I gained a lot of uh, musical knowledge, uh, if you will, from English and Irish folk musicians and about how they. Talk talked about their history and their culture through their music. And that really just clicked one day, and I thought, that's 
that's where I need to go with with my uh, music and songwriting, and bring that uh, that Florida flavor to it. And then um, I recorded the album Orange Blossom Memories, and uh, came back. And ever since then, about uh, three years now, I've been playing all over the state and uh, really just sharing the the music. And it's been a it's been a great time. Working in England as a licensed busker, Chris Call was able to earn enough money to live comfortably, playing his music for donations at central London underground stations such as Charing Cross and Tottenham Court Road. Busking basically is street performing or, in my case, subway performing. I had a license to play and perform in the uh, the tunnels of the London Underground, or the tube as they call it, which is basically their subway system. And uh, I would go down every day and pick a nice spot out in the tunnel and open my guitar case and I would just go for it and thousands of people would pass me every day and just share some music and give them give them a really a good sound for about a minute because that's about all you had they had about 60 seconds as they were passing uh, to decide whether or not they were going to reach in the pocket and throw some coins in but uh, that was a great experience in in performing just really learning how to capture somebody's attention in a, in a, uh, a quick amount of time and uh, just grabbing them. But um, a lot of people ask an interesting question, did you perform these Florida songs there? And, and the answer is yes, I did. A lot of these songs I was working out while I was busking and, and uh, road testing them, really, and seeing what kind of reaction they got. And they certainly did get a great reaction. And I think uh, a place like London is... Almost everyone comes from somewhere else, and people want to know about where you come from. So I was the musical link to Florida in that sense, and um, I did find a, a really nice reception. But um, yes, busking, it was, it was a lot of fun, and it was a great learning experience, and I think it was one of the, the keys to prompting me and helping me craft uh, what has become my, my Florida set. Many American singer-songwriters have been influenced by the British folk music tradition. Chris Call was particularly inspired by the sense of place often found in British folk music. That, combined with his memories of the Sunshine State during cold and dreary London winters, helped him to write his first collection of Florida songs. Sure, uh, definitely. I think um, in the middle of uh, December when it's... Uh dark at 3.30 and, and the rain's coming down and it's uh, almost freezing. Uh, you can't help but think of uh, Florida and the beautiful sunny skies and the year-round great weather. And and really, uh, the title track of, of my uh, first Florida CD, Orange Blossom Memories, is a testament to that. It's a, it's a song that I wrote really to capture, at least in my own mind, the essence of being here, even when I wasn't here, where I could sing the song and I could go back, at least in my mind, and... Uh, just feel the sun and, and uh, feel the warmth of Florida, and that's what I tried to express really through that song. Waves rolling gently, I can feel the ocean breeze. Barefoot in the white sand of Cocoa Beach, snowy egrets flying. High in the cloudless sky The Atlantic horizon Reaches out for miles The palm trees are swaying The sun shines all I see Florida, I can't forget Those orange blossoms 
collection of Florida songs would be complete without an ode to the hurricane, Chris Call's version of this is called Hurricane Blues. Yeah, I think every Florida folk singer has a hurricane song, so so that's mine. And uh, really just living through storms and and uh, and surviving. And, uh, I mean, hurricanes are nothing new to Florida. They've been coming here uh, even long before humans were. So... I think uh, you know they're, they're certainly tragic at times, and uh, but I think if you look at the perspective of the natural occurrence of them, and and I think it's carved out a lot of uh, Florida's makeup in in the people that uh, we're survivors. Uh, if 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 things go bad, well, we pick ourselves up and and we move forward. And I think uh, you see that a lot in in hurricanes or kind of a natural disaster kind of thing. But I think it's it's become part of the fabric of our makeup. Wind is kicking up. Barometer's dropping back Now the sea is raging It's time to get out of town I got the hurricane blues The hurricane blues Most of Chris Call's songs provide listeners with engaging snapshots of Florida history. The song Easter Sunday looks at the Spanish discovery of Florida. I like to tell stories in my music and really uh, bring it alive in a musical way. And I think it's a great way to do that. And, and this specific one talks about uh, the date that Florida was discovered by the Spanish was April 2nd of 1513. And that was uh, Easter Sunday of that year. The actual day was Easter Sunday. And Ponce Leon, of course, the uh, explorer from Spain, uh decided to call us Florida here because we were discovered on uh, Easter Sunday, the actual date. So uh, Florida in Spanish is a reference to the Easter season. It means Feast of the Flowers, the Flowery Festival, which relates to springtime and specifically Easter itself. So that's actually how we, we got our name because the day we were discovered by the Spanish. In the year of our Lord, 1513, Easter Sunday, Feast of the Flowers At the helm of San Cristobal, Juan Ponce de Leon Land in our sight, now we sail to our fate St. John's River, lead us to the fountain of youth As we search for gold, we search for truth. On Orange Blossom Memories, Songs of Florida, Chris Call also sings from the perspective of the people who were already here when the Spanish arrived. Right, the Native American Indians and and one of the sadder moments in our history and, and U.S. history uh, at large, too, was the uh, the Trail of Tears and the relocation of of the Indians and the tribes to Oklahoma, and that was uh, affected uh, by us here in Florida, too. And the Seminole Indians, uh, the descendants of the Seminole Indian tribe today, are actually um, uh, descendants of the Indians that hid out in the Everglades and Big Cypress Swamp and uh, resisted removal and were able to hide out long enough to when the removal had ended. And um, direct descendants of the Seminole tribe today are the ones that uh, had actually hit out in, in the swamp, but uh, many did have to leave, and, and uh, my song, Native Land, really uh, touches that, and uh, uh, as I said, one of the sadder moments in our history. Been a long time coming Knew it couldn't last So long Big Cypress See a river of grass 
There are a couple of Florida-based literary references to be found in Chris Call's songs. The Ballad of Harry Morgan is based on Ernest Hemingway's To Have and Have Not. That was a book that Hemingway wrote when he lived in Key West. He lived there in the 1930s. And he wrote a lot of his famous novels there, but he only used Key West and, and Florida, uh, for that fact, in one novel, and that was To Have and To Have Not. And that came out in 1935, and uh, the story is based on a boat captain named Harry Morgan. And he had fallen on hard times during the Depression and turned to rum running, uh, bringing in the booze from Cuba, because that was the best way he knew how to feed his family, he would say, is a famous line in, in the book. And I really thought that was a um, good representation of how the Depression actually touched us here in Florida, and especially the, the Florida Key. I'm gonna run that rum, gonna run those men, cause I ain't going on relief. My name is Harry Morgan, and my little girl's a gotta in 2008, the Florida Humanities Council sent Chris Call to libraries around the state to share his songs about Florida history and culture as part of their Rhodes Scholar series. They decided to have me on their program uh, last year as, as a musician to bring my, my songs and stories to um, places around the state, and I got to travel all corners of the state and uh, perform in libraries and to uh, all ages, all groups in, in these audiences, and it was, a, it was a really great time not only to share the songs, but it, w it was just great being able to travel to all these places, and some places I hadn't been before, but uh, it was just a wonderful experience being able to go there and uh, share, but also communicate with the people. As a fourth grader, Chris Call studied Florida history in the public school system. Now he's teaching kids Florida history with his songs. I work as what's called an artist-in-residence, where I'll go into a school, um, sometimes for a whole semester, day programs, things like that. And I teach Florida history through music, uh, singing my songs and telling the stories. And also I do songwriting workshops with the kids to get them interested in being creative and writing songs and also to help them connect those creative skills to show them if you can write a story, if you can tell me a story, you can write a song and express that through, through music. Chris Call has a new collection of Florida songs called Sunshine Kid. Songs on the new CD include the Captain Steve Bravo and Florida You'll Always Be My Home. Well I feel so proud to evolve this great land May generations to come rest their feet in the sand Treat it like a brother and be kind to your own And never forget that Florida's your home Florida, you'll always be my home Forever in my heart say how do you describe your music and I, I always love to use the term Floridiana that's one of the songs on, um, on my first CD for Florida CD but it, it's really kind of a nostalgic look at things that are not only they come from the past but there's still a link to the present and uh, one of the songs on there that I thought was a good example is called uh, Dodger Town 
which talks about spring training in general and how spring training has been here for really even over a hundred years now. Uh, teams would come down to Florida to get ready for the baseball season. And growing up, my favorite place to go and watch was Dodger Town down in Vero Beach, where the Dodgers um, they trained from 1948 until last year, 2008. That was their last season, so they trained there for 60 years. And it was just such a great tradition, and I always loved going down and watching the boys in Dodger Blue is one of the lines in there. And getting to meet Tommy Lasorda, he talked to my Little League team when I was 12, 13 years old. And, and I think just those kinds of things are rooted in Florida history. Even if they're, they're there or they're not now, even though the Dodgers are gone, it's just that memory is always going to remain. For the latest information about Chris Call's upcoming performances or to purchase his CDs, you can visit his website at chriscall.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-K-A-H-L dot com. Won't you send me a postcard from the Floridiana Hotel Bringing me blue skies and wishing me well Won't you bring me blue skies and wish me well This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Visit our website, myfloridahistory.org, every week to look at historic photographs, find Florida books, keep up to date on events at the Library of Florida History, and much more. That's myfloridahistory.org. Coming up on Florida Frontiers, the Civil War in Florida. I remember when Mary Lou said you want to walk me home from school. Well, I said, yes, I do. She said, I don't have to go right home. I would kind of like to be alone, so if you would. I said, me too. <laughs> and so we took a stroll, wound up down by the swimming hole. She said, do what you want. This frog for you. <laughs> she said, I don't like spiders and snakes, and that ain't what it takes to love me. You fool, you fool. I don't like spiders and snakes, and that ain't what it takes to love me. Like I wanna be loved by you. Most Floridians today will go out of their way to avoid indigenous creatures like snakes, frogs, and alligators. As Janie Gould reports, two Florida sisters used to seek out snakes in the 1950s to earn money. Before Disney, Florida tourist attractions were heavy on gator wrestling and monkey jungles. One of the best known of those early attractions was the Ross Allen Reptile Institute. It was at Silver Springs in Ocala. Ross Allen opened his snake farm in 1929, and he promoted it endlessly. Securing two coils around Tom's legs, Ross swims into the rescue. Several Tarzan films starring Johnny Weissmuller were filmed at Silver Springs, and Ross Allen sometimes was a stand-in for Weissmuller. 
Ross Allen always needed a steady supply of snakes, both for research and for tourists who would take them home as live souvenirs. Two sisters who grew up on their parents' dairy near Moorhaven used to catch snakes for Ross Allen. Debbie Click-Paschel caught lots of them. That's how we made our spending money. Becky Click-Chote was no slouch either. We caught what we call chicken snakes, rat snakes, king snakes, mud snakes. And my brother, he was braver than the rest of us, so he would catch moccasins or or rattlesnakes. And we did catch uh, ground rattlers occasionally. Poisonous snakes were really against the rule because our parents didn't want us messing with the poisonous ones. She captured them live, of course, and delivered them to Ross Allen Live. Yes, and we had a horse named Speedy. Debbie and I would use him to reach holes up in big trees. Debbie would stand up on the back of the horse and brace herself against me while she reached up into a hole where there might be a chicken snake. And just stick her bare hand in there? Uh, No, there were certain trees that maybe a limb had died and it left a cavity in the tree. And then when it would rain, it would fill with water. So we would take a stick and poke down into the hole. And you could tell by the feel whether there was a snake in it or not. But there was one particular tree that we call the grape tree or the snake tree. And it wasn't. Either one. It was a cypress tree that had a huge grapevine, and on this grapevine we could climb up and get onto the limb, which was probably at least 12 feet above the ground. And on this limb we could sit and poke into the hole. If it felt like a snake was in it, we just kept poking until the snake got irritated with us, and then he would come out. But the only thing is, Here you are at least 12 feet above the ground and the snake comes out and stares you in the face and you just have to freeze. And once he came out and he would generally start climbing up the tree, well, you would wait till his head was far enough up and then you grabbed and you threw him to the person below. And then the person below would take a stick and put over their head and then you would catch them behind their head. How often did Ross Allen come around? Probably about once a month. How much did he pay, let's say, for a good-sized king snake? Well, they generally charged by the foot, maybe 10 cents a foot. I know a, a nice chicken snake, we'd get a dollar or a dollar and a half for. And Sometimes as high as two dollars. Yes, we hit it big time. Janie Gould from WQCS prepared that report. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Become a member of the Florida Historical Society today to support a variety of educational projects and programs. Visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org. When the American Civil War is discussed, Florida is not often a hot topic. As Bill Dudley reports, Florida's role in the conflict was much more active than most people think. Our country's Civil War has been the subject of more books than any other topic except religion. Although most historians dismiss Florida as a minor player in the struggle, in February 2002 I reported on a book by an amateur historian that details the surprising number of military actions that actually took place within the borders of our state. One thing that I found very interesting was when I was researching this book, 
when I would tell friends and colleagues what I was doing, they would get a very perplexed look on their face. And, and it told me that when one thought of the Civil War, Florida definitely did not come to mind. Paul Taylor is a former Floridian now living in Virginia. His curiosity about our state's role in the conflict has resulted in a book, Discovering the Civil War in Florida, based on articles by historians, past and present, plus dispatches and reports of the time. All of the works written on the Civil War in Florida in 135 years could probably fit on two, two bookshelves. It was just overlooked. There wasn't a lot of activity in comparison to what happened in Virginia or Maryland or Tennessee, but there was a lot more than most people might think. Although it was the third state to secede from the Union, sparsely populated Florida sent only 15,000 men to the Confederate cause. Due to its lack of men, materials, miles of indefensible coastline, the Confederate central government realized that there was no way to defend the entire state, and it was virtually left to its own defenses. But everything changed in July 1863 with the decisive Union victory in faraway Vicksburg, Mississippi. Suddenly, the South could no longer depend on beef and other provisions supplied by riverboat. Florida became a, a very important provider of beef to the Confederacy at this point, commissary to the Confederacy, if you will. That flow became so important that the government formed what was called the Cow Cavalry to assist this flow of cattle northward to the armies battling farther north. Early in 1864, Union soldiers trying to intercept these supply lines began marching into the interior of the state. This Florida campaign led to the bloody Battle of Olusty near Lake City. It's about 5,000 Union troops marching out of Jacksonville westward. Unbeknownst to them, rebel forces were aware of the movement and were able to assemble a similar number of men at a little railroad depot called a Lusty Station. It was an excellent defensive position for the Confederates. A lot of marshlands off to the right of the railroad station, so the Union troops had to come right at them. Union troops were apparently sent in against the Confederates in a somewhat piecemeal fashion uncoordinated, and they ended up being being slaughtered. Many mistakes were made. Based on the ratio of troops involved to casualties, it was the third bloodiest Union defeat of the entire war. Taylor says the presence of a rear guard made up of the African-American 54th Massachusetts Infantry Regiment played an important role at the battle. In a large part, they helped save the Union defeat from turning into a complete rout. Their quite heroic defensive actions helped slow the Confederate counterattacks against the defeated Union Army. Throughout the war, the state's greatest soldier was not a mighty general like Grant or Lee, but a crafty guerrilla fighter, Confederate Captain John J. Dickinson. Civil War buffs will have heard of John Mosby in Virginia and Morgan in Kentucky, and Dickinson held that role in Florida. He had a small force of men, never more than several hundred several pieces of artillery at most, basically crisscrossing the state from one side to the other, knowing the, the lay of the land, he was consistently frustrating Union forces. Many of the Union activities along the coast were directed at destroying a multitude of large and small salt works that supplied thousands of bushels of salt made from boiling seawater to the Confederate armies. Salt was an important preservative of meat in an era where we did not have refrigeration. 
They uh, often ranged anywhere from a couple of guys with kettles to elaborate mechanisms. Dozens of people. It was a cash business. The book divides the state into sections, from Key West to Pensacola, listing battles and skirmishes by location with parks and historic sites open to the public. There's a good number of places that people can still visit and learn about what happened often in our, in our own backyard. There, there's a lot, a lot out there. Author Paul Taylor. His book is Discovering the Civil War in Florida, a reader and guide published by Pineapple Press. I'm Bill Dudley. With funding from the Florida Department of State Division of Cultural Affairs, this report was produced by the Florida Humanities Council. You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. If you missed any of our programs, they are archived on our website at myfloridahistory.org. Please join us again next week. Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's also made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Brevard County Board of Commissioners through the Brevard Cultural Alliance, Incorporated.